thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's your missions pastor. I'm back for your next Mission Sunday update, but uh, really glad to be with you. I love this church community, love the Perkins family. Uh, It's been so fun to grow in deeper and deeper friendship. Our sons have become super good friends, and my son came out here for Bold Conference, and and, uh, it's just, it's amazing to see the ways God is knitting us together more and more. And so the last time I was with you guys was the day after the send. Half of you were extremely sunburned. I was extremely tired. And um, I uh, and now we're back again. And I wanted to actually start before I jump into where we're going to head for the message today to give you a little bit of an update on even some of the things that we have uh, watched happen since the Send Kansas City. And then we went straight to Norway after Kansas City and give you a little update on that. And then we're going to jump into where we're going to head today. And, um, uh, you know, as I was with you the day after, most of the testimonies emerged in the weeks after. And so one of the ones that I heard that I want to share with you guys, you know, we did the five-day outreach on the front end of the send here. And uh, thousands of people gathered. I think in the final night there, they estimated there were six to 7,000 people at that tent. Only 2,000 fit inside, but around the outsides and uh, in worship. And it was just an unbelievable environment of faith. You could have been so discouraged read awful headlines, and then walked into that tent and been like, man, God is winning. He is on the move. There was such an environment of faith. And all through the day, we sent teams on outreaches to hundreds of locations across the city here. And there were so many testimonies. One of my favorite that I found out a couple weeks after was one of the guys who had flown in as a part of that missions team on that first day, went to do evangelism on that Monday. And he met someone on the streets, got into a really deep conversation, and the guy had an authentic conversion, like authentically goes, I want to follow Jesus. So he goes, okay, why don't you come to the tent tonight? We're gathering. So first thing this guy ever done in his life with believers is the revival tent. And he's like, Christianity is awesome. You know, he just can't believe this is incredible. And so he's so moved that that next day, he's like, can I go out on outreach with you guys? So he's a brand new believer, less than 24 hours old. And he goes out on outreach the next day. And that day, he leads someone to Jesus his first day as a believer. So he's, he can't believe it. And now I'm calling that guy Believer A. He leads Believer B to someone to, to the Lord. And that night he's like, hey, there's this thing at night. It's called the tent. You got to come. And so that guy comes. So they're both there um, Tuesday night at the tent. And they're like, Christianity rocks. Like, this is awesome, right? So both of them the next day go on outreach. They're just like hooked now. So the two new believers go out on Wednesday. And Believer B, who'd gotten saved on Tuesday, he leads someone to Jesus on Wednesday. I couldn't believe this. Three generations in one week, right? All three of them start coming to the tent for the rest of the week. And on Friday, the original guy, the original missionary, baptized all three of them in their own dedication to follow Jesus. So one of many, many testimonies, and there were so many. Um, we, one of my favorite kind of recaps of the Sand in Kansas City was about two or three weeks after, we had a phone call with the, the uh, council of pastors that we had pulled together. When we really began to set our sights on Kansas City, we pulled about seven pastors together representing quite a broad array of churches in the region to ensure that whatever we did truly served the region. We just said, we are not here to do an event and then just disappear and everybody serves the event and goes and then wonders what it was all about. We, if we don't serve the city, we shouldn't come at all. So they walked with us. They steered us kind of throughout the, that time to help us navigate. How do we really come in in humility? How do we really serve and help raise the water level of what God's already doing in the region? So two, three weeks later, we got on a phone call and we just said, hey guys, shoot totally straight with us. We committed to serve your city, did we? Like we committed to, uh, you know, help raise the water level. Did it happen? Like we committed to not just show up and blow up. Like, does that feel real? Like be really honest with us. We're heading into the future, more nations, more locations. We need all the help we can get. 
And I was so encouraged as one by one, they began to share testimonies of what had happened in their churches in the Sundays following the send. Two different pastors had had two different members in their church who had been completely healed of a deaf ear. So much so that the family who didn't believe in miracles were like, well, I don't know what to do now because clearly a miracle just happened. And having to wrestle with the fact that God still does miracles and the God of the Bible is still the God of today. Sending ripples of faith through their church community to just simply believe that God is still that powerful. He's still moving in power like that today, just like he did in the scriptures. Another pastor began to tell us of all the new members that are coming to his church now because so many had gotten saved in the neighborhoods around his church during the outreach that now they have all these new people coming to their church, getting baptized, getting discipled. One of my favorites was a guy who was one of the pastors who said, actually, um, the, the carpenter who's working on my house, he was at the send, brought his daughter to the send, and she got massively impacted. And he's, he's like, in fact, he's, he's right here. Let me go get him. And he's like literally building something in the guy's house. And he gets him on the Zoom call. He's like, hey, this is so-and-so. And the guy's like, yeah, man, my daughter's life was so messed, you know, messed up in a good way. Uh, at, at the send, like transformed. I was so encouraged to hear all of these testimonies. Our team to do due diligence to what we believe the Send Kansas City was for was to help people from a moment of inspiration to a lifestyle of activation. And for us, it's not successful if we just talk about foster care. It's successful if families start fostering children. It's not just successful if we talk about global missions. It's successful if new people sign up and get trained and become global missionaries, right? So after the Send Kansas City, we started our six-week intensive follow-up, which I apologize to any of you that got way more text messages than you wanted. But we, uh, our call center made 35,000 phone calls following up with every single missional commitment. Bless the, their hearts. They were all volunteer YWAMers. We just fed them, but we did not pay them. And, uh, and then we sent out 300,000 emails and 700,000 text messages following up with every single person that made some kind of a missional commitment to help them take their first step in actually walking that missional commitment out, whether it's starting a Jesus club on their high school, which my, my own kids have started a Jesus club on their high school. My sophomore daughter is helping to lead this, uh, this one at her high school. High school is a wreck. It's a disaster. Uh, culturally, academically, some of the worst schools in, the, in America or in our state in Hawaii. And um, she started a Jesus club and their first uh, uh, Tuesday that they did just two, three weeks ago that over a hundred kids come that have never set foot in a church. I mean, these are kids that are completely unchurched, but they're hungry for truth. They, they want some form of hope. And they're coming every week. Every week they're hearing about the gospel and they're getting some free pizza. I don't know which they're coming for, but hopefully the gospel. And uh, wa watching many young people begin to take those real commitments, those first steps. And we feel that we're seeing that across the board. It's been so encouraging to hear the testimonies of families that are engaging in foster care or adoption, um, high schoolers that are reaching their high schools, university students, et cetera, et cetera. Well, after the Send Kansas City, just a, uh, six weeks later, we found ourselves in Norway. And Norway was quite unique in that uh, it's a smaller nation, six million people. And the, it had caught national attention in the two-year lead-up primarily because of the criticism in the media. We've been criticized uh, almost on a weekly basis in the media in Norway. And a lot of the criticism centered around that they were saying that our message was a, a dangerous message and that we were promoting a radical expression of Christianity. So they would translate these articles and send them to me just so I was aware of what was happening. And I would read the articles and be like, I agree with everything in here. Print it again, send it to the other news agencies, spread it across the nation, free publicity. If Christianity is not dangerous in my mind, it's probably not Christianity. Jesus didn't die for a safe following. He didn't die for a safe, you know, Christianity. Christianity that has become safe often loses its potency. It's wholehearted Christianity, radical, sacrificial Christianity that has been the 2,000 year marker of transforming people's lives. So this criticism was aimed at getting all of our partners to disassociate with the sin. And instead, the opposite happened. By the time we got to Norway, every single denomination in the nation, including the Catholic Church, was behind the sin, supporting it, and it truly unified the church of the nation. It's unbelievable. Far beyond anything we could do. This is Jesus doing what he does best, leading. And, uh, you know, a lot of the criticism actually caused a national conversation in the church to go, if we've not been this criticized, then what kind of message are we living and communicating? 
because the gospel is a dangerous message. It's dangerous to sin. It's dangerous to brokenness. It's dangerous to addiction. It's dangerous to the enemy. It's dangerous to devils. It's dangerous to everything that stands against the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. So when we got there, we did another week-long outreach on the front end. It was astounding. We had about 900 people show up from Norway and across Europe, which was historic for them. And uh, one of the secret weapons of that week was 250 Brazilians who flew in from Brazil to contend for the breakthrough in Norway. I tell you, one of the most dangerous things on the earth is 250 Brazilians. (laughs) that are passionate about Jesus. And there were so many testimonies of salvations and healings across the city. In fact, the pastors of the city said it had been over 20 years since that much evangelism had happened in the city of Oslo. The Norway as a whole is largely secular humanist. If you think of where we're at in America and how we're hurtling towards secular humanism at a rapid rate, Europe, most of Europe's been there for 20 years. Norway has been predominantly secular humanist for 20 years. We're moving there quicker, but they've been there longer. And so what was happening was truly sending shockwaves across the nation. We got to the gathering itself, and it was the largest Christian gathering in the nation in over 20 years. And the last time there was one bigger than the Send Norway was 40 years ago with Billy Graham. So you just imagine for these young believers, they have never been in a room with thousands of other believers worshiping Jesus together. They've never seen it. They've never experienced the courage to go, I'm not alone. Like, it's not just me and my little youth group, which most of the youth groups are really small. It's not just me and my little church because most of the churches are quite small. They go look around their nation and go, there are thousands of us that are believing for a move of God in our nation and a move of God in our continent. Many people say that Norway and Europe are post-Christian. I choose to believe that they're just pre-revival, not necessarily post-Christian. And I looked out at a whole bunch of thousands of young people that I think believe the same thing, that there's no place too difficult or too hard for Jesus to move. The day itself was profound, just the move of the Spirit, the way that God met each young person, the miracles, the testimonies, and the activation. It's been remarkable. And this is one of the things I walked away with that I think is true of where we're at as a nation right now as well. Is I looked at these 18, 19 year olds and there aren't many in the nation numerically. The church is not large in Norway. It's not massive. But I'm seeing something that I feel like I haven't seen in at least my 20 years of being in and out of Europe for the first time. And it's this, that most of these 18 year olds have been made fun of their whole lives for following Jesus. Their teachers mocked them for believing the Bible. Their peers made fun of them for believing that Jesus is God, for believing in traditional marriage or believing in the Imago Dei, the image of God and man and woman. They were made fun of. And yet if they stood the test, if they endured the social pressure and social persecution, what it did was actually recreate the original gospel seed of transformation in those individuals. They weren't just living in a sea of kind of apathetic, complacent Christianity. They actually had to take a stand. That social pressure pushed them to actually stand on their beliefs. And if they were gonna survive and they were gonna make it, they actually had to believe it. They couldn't just socially fit in and be Christian. You don't fit in in a secular humanist society if you're a believer. Our, op- our viewpoints and our belief systems are, par- are totally opposite. We have nothing in common with secular humanism as a belief system. And so these young people, though few in number, are recovering the potency of the gospel. And for the first time, I looked on with unbelievable hope going, wait, Maybe what secular humanism did over the last 20 years is it removed apathetic Christianity from the nation. Mediocre kind of in cultural Christianity. You can't just call yourself a Christian and not actually believe it because why would you? There's so much social pressure. So to actually believe it, you've got to actually pay a price to believe it. And paying a price to believe something is the gospel. Paying a price to believe something produces the potency and the transformative power of the gospel once again. So I looked on these young people and went, there may not be many, but they're actually far more powerful than if there were many who didn't actually believe what they said. And it changed my thinking even in regards to where we are as a nation right now in America. 
I'm discouraged at times, as you are, by the headlines. It's discouraged at times by what we're believing, what we're saying, the, the, the tip of the spear of our conversations today. I just never imagined that this would be our conversation 20 years ago. But my viewpoint's changing on that a little bit because I think there is no hope for America if we don't do away with apathetic Christianity. There is no hope for America if our Christian expression is cultural Christianity. The only hope for America is that we would recover the potency of the gospel message that saved us in the first place. And that potency of that true gospel message is the only thing that can transform America again. Cultural Christianity will never win the battle. Showing up on a Sunday morning will not win the battle. We've got to actually believe what the book says and believe in the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And as we do, then we recover the potency of the gospel and therein lies the power of transformation again. And I think that's what we're on the verge of in the nation right now. So I look at it and go, man, we're, we're kind of moving. The gray space is gone. Let's put it that way. Because we're going to have to begin to pay a price to actually believe that Jesus is God. We're going to actually have to pay a price to believe in traditional marriage, to believe any of the Judeo-Christian worldview that much of our forefathers believed in. We're going to have to pay a price. I tell you, there will come a day where we will be endlessly mocked for believing that this thing is true. But those who endure will recover the true seed of the gospel. And therein lies the power of transformation once again. So I have so much hope. So much hope for what God's doing in Europe, so much hope for what's happening in America, that as the gray space disappears, what's emerging is wholehearted Christianity. And that's who you are. That's who this room is. That's who Radiant is. I don't mean that we're perfect. We all have immaturities. I have more than most of you. Just ask my wife, my kids, any of them. It's not about being perfect, but it's about believing in the truth and the power of the gospel message to transform our lives the lordship of Jesus over our lives and the power of the Holy Spirit that is still present to bring breakthrough. That is the power of transformation. And I think the Lord is dusting it off right now. And what's gonna emerge is a beautiful, powerful, and potent church that believes the word of God, lives the word of God. And in that, there's hope for America. Amen? Okay, I wanna jump into where we're gonna to go today in our message. And I've been uh, in great conversations with uh, David Perkins, your pastor, who I love so much, about where we're heading. And I say we because I'm your missions pastor. So you, whether you like it or not, you gotta accept me, you know? And, uh, and, and my heart is th thinking that I'm gonna be with you every year, maybe once, maybe twice, for the foreseeable future that it wouldn't be just uh, another inspirational message that kind of stirs our hearts up for global missions. I wanna go somewhere together. That we can look back five years from now and go, Radiant Church is responsible for languages having the scripture that never had the scriptures before in the history of their language. That Radiant Church is responsible for engaging the unreached in places that have never been reached before with the gospel. That this is a missions-minded church that really understands what's happening at a global level. So with that thinking in mind and talking with David, Pastor David, we began to think through, well, what about laying some foundational blocks so that five years from now, we're not just an inspired people, we're an activated and strategic people actually reaching the nations of the earth out of Overland Park in Kansas. How many believe that that would be a great future for the church, right? And so because of that, this morning, I'm gonna kind of slow down a little bit, and this is my goal, is I wanna give you a little bit of a picture of what's happening around the globe right now. I'm going to talk through some numbers, some statistics, and uh, hopefully it's not boring, but my hope is that we walk away and you feel informed. You feel like, man, I kind of understand what's happening at a global scale, both the good news and maybe some of the difficult news. And then because of that, over the months and years to come, that we're also growing, and then how do we become strategic in the midst of that to actually see the Great Commission furthered to places and in ways that it's never gone before, and that that would be part of the very inheritance of your community and the church, and I think that's part of the very mission of the church. So that's where we're going to go today. If you guys are good with that, are you good with that? Turn to the person next to you and say, we're good with that. Let me start with the good news. Say good news. Everybody loves good news. I'm going to give you some good news. Paint some picture of what's happening. Okay. Today, the fastest growing population of Christianity of any nation in the world is in the nation of Iran. 
This is astounding to think that 20, 30 years ago that everyone would have said that that's impossible. But today, the most rapid growing church in the world is in a somewhat persecuted, closed Islamic nation of Iran. We all know there's crazy, difficult things going on there right now. In the midst of all that has happened, the church is spreading rapidly and mostly through women getting saved. It's unbelievable to watch what's happening in Iran. 2018, I know this was true in 2019, I'm not sure since then, but in 2018, it was estimated that in the nation of Indonesia, which has the largest Muslim population of any nation in the world, that every 20 seconds, an Indonesian Muslim was turning to Jesus. I want you to think about how many Indonesians came to Jesus just during our worship time since we came and sat in this building. That's the rapid spread of the gospel in some places across the earth. For the first time in history, There are Bible-believing Christians in every single nation on earth. Every geopolitical named nation on earth for the first time in history has believers in it. Now, that might seem like, well, hasn't that kind of been a while? No, we're the first ones to get up in the morning. The first generation in history to wake up to that reality. When Lauren started YWAM, which is what I'm a part of, uh, in, you know, 60 some years ago, that was not true. And Lauren himself has gone to every nation on earth. So he, you know, you have statistics, but then you have a man who's literally traveled and met with believers in every single nation on earth. So sometimes you'll even hear motivational missional messages that'll say like, there are no known believers in Libya. And Lauren will say like, I snuck into Libya in the trunk of a car and I met with believers there and they're doing just fine. And then they'll say, there's no known believers in the Maldives. You might hear that as well. And Lauren's like, I was in the Maldives. It was January of 1983, a Wednesday, I believe. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And he goes, and I met with them. He goes, we led several Maldivians to the Lord ourselves and entered into the underground church and they're doing just fine. And you realize there literally are believers in every single nation on earth. And we're the first generation to wake up to that. That's a profound reality. Also, when you look at the history of Islam, which started 600 AD, in the last 20 years from the year 2000 to today, more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus than in 1,400 years of combined Islamic history. So you take 680 to 2000, year 2000, then you take 2000 to 2020, and in that 20-year window, more Muslims have come to faith than in 1,400 years of history. Unbelievable growth of the gospel. Yeah, you can clap for that. Jesus is on the move. Now, I'm gonna use a few terms today, and I hope that they don't feel that we get lost in these terms. Uh, I wanna keep it simple, but also know this is an incredibly smart group of people and you care about the details. And until we understand the details, it's hard to even understand how to be strategic, how to pray, and what we're really believing for. So one of the large classifications in terms of missions and missiology is unengaged peoples. These are peoples that historically have never been engaged with the gospel, meaning it's an entire shared language group an ethno-linguistic group that has never had a believer, never had a church. And as far as we know, not a single missionary is even trying to reach them, okay? So in terms of the Great Commission, if we're called to preach the gospel to all creation, Mark chapter 16, and Acts chapter one, we're called to do it from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth, then we need to care about these unengaged peoples. Because for 2,000 years, the gospel has been growing across the earth, but there are still many people that have never, ever been engaged in the history of their language group with the good news of Jesus. So in the year 2005, missions organizations, translation organizations came together in unprecedented unity for the first time to map out where are these unengaged people groups and how many are there? Nobody knew. How many actual people groups are there that have never been exposed to the gospel message? And where do they live? And what language do they speak? And what do we need to do? So in the year 2005, there were 3,158 remaining unengaged people groups, okay? Just over 3,000 for easy math. Just over 3,000, just think about that, entire people groups without a single known believer, without a single known missionary trying to reach them. Now, God is the greatest strategist in all of human history, right? Can we all agree on that? How many of you think God as a great strategist was like, I have a really good idea. I'm gonna have a few nations with a whole bunch of believers in it, and I'm gonna have a whole bunch of nations with almost no believers in it. It'll be awesome. 
As a strategist, you have to know this was not God's strategy. His strategy was that out of nations that have been blessed with a history like our own and many others across the world, that we would be radically concerned with the places that have yet to have the revelation of Jesus as Messiah. So in 2005, they gathered together, just over 3,000 people groups. They said, we got to do something about this. Those organizations came together, collaborated, mapped them out, and began to adopt them, train missionaries, and send them to reach these people groups so that today, 17 years later, there are only 144 left. From 3,158, come on, to 17 years later... There are only 144 remaining unengaged people groups. In the last uh, almost 20 years, that represents 156,000 churches planted among previously unengaged people groups. So imagine that. For 2,000 years, they've been waiting for the good news of Jesus. In the last 17 years, 156,000 churches planted among peoples that have previously never been exposed to the gospel message. That's the speed at which the gospel is moving across the earth. Absolutely incredible. I want you to think about this. This is incredible. Is all 144 that remain, they've all been adopted by missions organizations and church planning organizations. For the first time in all of history, every single ethno-linguistic group on earth is being strategized or is being reached right now. And easily it can be said, because we're getting into, not many generations can read the Bible and find their generation in the text. Matthew chapter 24, this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed to all ethnos, which literally means language groups, ethnic language groups. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all nations, ethnos, language groups, and then the end shall come. We literally are finding our generation written in the text of scripture. And I'm not saying the end is coming, but I'm saying that Jesus said this had to happen first. And we're the first generation in human history to be alive where that will become a reality. Easily in the next three to five years, there will come a day where the last remaining unengaged people group is engaged with the gospel. For the first time in human history, Matthew chapter 24 will have happened in a generation. And that's three to five years in the future, friends. That is way better news than you're going to find on any news headline today. Anything that you're going to watch on TV or anything you're going to see online is the reality of the kingdom of God moving across the earth right now. It's absolutely remarkable. Another incredible one. So that's the unengaged. Let me give you another category. It's called the Bible lists. And it's those languages that don't have any single bit of the scripture in their language. Now, there are about 7,000 languages on the earth, and there are 2,000 of them that don't have a single page of the scripture. They don't have one sentence. They don't have one sentence of the scripture in their mother tongue. Now, how many of you think God cares about every single language on earth? How many of you think he speaks every single language on earth? Right? And then he's not okay if like, well, if you could just learn English, I know it's your fourth language, but if you learn English, then you'll get the gospel. How many of you know he speaks the mother tongue of every single nation on earth and every people? He cares about the language that speaks to the deepest places of their heart. He's not content with a trade language being what is trying to speak to their heart if that's not the language that they learned in their home. He speaks the heart language of every language on earth, right? So 2,000 languages still don't have a single page of scripture. But again, unprecedented unity in missions organizations, translation organizations, and the strength of the local church and that by the year 2033, 11 years from now, every single language on earth will have significant portions of the scripture for the first time in human history. 11 years from now. Come on, guys, think about that. Just for a moment. That in the next three to five years, every people group on earth engaged, and then the next 11 years, the scriptures in every single heart language for the first time in history, it will be possible to see disciples and gospel proclamation in every single ethno-linguistic group on the earth. That's the hour that we live in, guys. This is an exciting time to be alive. Another part of the amazing hour we're in is how God is moving uniquely in Gen Z. Gen Z is those that are roughly 23 and under, 23 to 10, they say, 24 to 10. And Gen Z is uniquely wired 
towards the missional life and even towards evangelism. Statistically, in the church in America, one to 2% of Christians that go to church will ever lead someone to Jesus in their lifetime. 20 to 30% of Christians in the American church will ever share their faith. 80% of Gen Z shared their faith in the last 12 months, Gen Z believers, 80%. It's the most evangelistically inclined generation that has ever been, uh, that has ever been polled. In addition to that, Barna did a massive survey with Gen Z to find out their view on the Great Commission. First, they found that most did not know what the Great Commission was. But when they changed the language to a, mission, a career in missions or overseas missions, and they used that language, they found this. They asked a simple question. This is a subgroup of Gen Z, Bible-believing Gen Z. So they're still engaged in fellowship. They're you know, part of a church of some type, and they, they still believe the Bible. So it's a subgroup. But of that group, they found that when Ask the question, how many of you would consider foreign missions as a future vocation, a career? 52% of Bible-believing Gen Z said yes. Has there ever been a more missionally inclined generation in history? When they broke that down, this was so exciting to me to watch how God is moving across our nation right now, is they found that of those that responded, Caucasians, 48% of Caucasians said they would consider missions as a future. 54% of Hispanics said that they would consider missions as a future. And the highest was 61% of African-Americans said they would consider missions as a future vocation. This is unbelievable what God is doing in this generation. So much hope in these numbers. Now, let's talk a little bit about the challenge. Are you okay with talking about the challenge as well? Challenge begins with this. Every single day, 154,000 people die without faith in Jesus. Every day, 154,000 people die without faith in Jesus. The third classification, I talked to you about the unengaged and the Bible list, but the third one is the largest is what are called unreached people groups. These unreached people groups are people groups that share a language and they are less than 2% Christian and they're not growing in term numerically. So they lack the resources, they might lack the funding, or they might simply lack the resources in their native language. They might lack um, a Bible training. They might lack a number of churches, but because of it, they're less than 2% reached and they're not growing. They, there are Christians and there are churches, but they're, they're very small in number and they're not necessarily growing in their population. So those are called unreached people groups. Those unreached people groups, there are over 7,000 of them today, and they make up 3.2 billion of the earth's population. Over 40% of the earth's population is still completely unreached. It's estimated that easily 2.5 billion, just wrap your head around that number for a moment, have never heard the name of Jesus one time. It's hard for us to imagine. We've got churches, so many in one square mile. We've got access to more versions of the scripture than we know what to do with and argue about which one's the best. We have so much access to Christian materials. We've got access to it, you know, on films like The Chosen. It's just like, it's everywhere for us. 2.5 billion people on the earth have never heard his name one time. They've never heard the name of Jesus. And Jesus is deeply concerned about their future. Now, part of this challenge is that today there are 420,000 missionaries in the whole world trying to reach this massive population. Now, not only that, but only 2% of all missionaries are actually working among the unreached and the, uh, the unreached people groups, meaning that 98% of vocational missionaries are actually living and working in the reached world, which doesn't mean there isn't great need there, but it's not the biggest need. Today, statistically, there is one Christian missionary for every 400,000 Muslims in the Muslim world. Can you imagine being responsible in a city to know that you are the only witness for 400,000 people in your city? And that's the reality in large parts of the world. A little bit more bad news here, but it will end good, don't worry, is that when it comes to Christian giving, Christian income across the world is $53 trillion dollars. Christian giving is $896 billion. That's a lot of finances. 82% of that goes to serve and to uh, the, the ecosystem of the church. It's a very worthy cause to give to, but 82% of all giving goes to the ecosystem of the church. 
12% of all giving goes to local mission. That would be reaching Overland Park, reaching into Kansas, into Missouri, 12% of all giving. Less than 2% of all giving goes to reach the 3.2 billion people that are still waiting for many of them their first time to ever hear the gospel. In fact, they found that 100 times the money is embezzled by pastors in America every year than is given to reach the unreached. A hundred times the money is embezzled than is given to reach the unreached. This was by far the most depressing statistic I found. 2019, when the study was done, America spent more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than they did on reaching the 3.2 billion people that are still waiting for the gospel. This is the misallocation of our finances. They did a poll among American Christians, these are those who go to church all ages. This is us. This would have come to our demographic. Question was this simple. Have you ever heard of the Great Commission? 51% of those who go to a Sunday morning church said, I have never heard of the Great Commission. 25% said, I have heard of it, but I don't know what it means. And 6% said, I'm not sure, which means that they're part of the 51% if they said they weren't sure meaning that only 17% of Christians that go to church in America know what the Great Commission means today. Now, some of you might be new to church, new to this church, and one of my goals, and I know it's probably already true, is that this would be a church that is well-versed in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is basically a simple understanding of the purpose of why the church even exists. Of course, we know it's to know God, to worship God, to exalt God, but in terms of our mission, largely made up from three different passages, it's obviously a Genesis to Revelation narrative, but Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, Mark chapter 16, go and proclaim the gospel to all creation, and Acts chapter one, do it from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth. Those three simple things help make up the mission and the existence of the church. We exist for the purpose of others coming to the revelation of Jesus, making disciples, gospel proclamation, doing it through our passions and our works and the marketplace and all the things that God has put in our hands. All of those are a part of the big picture of the kingdom, but at the very nucleus of the kingdom are people encountering the love of Jesus and becoming followers, becoming disciples, not just converts, but disciples. And that is the heart of the Great Commission. Also at the heart of the Great Commission is that we're not only responsible for for what's right outside our back door, but we are 100% responsible for the globe. That it should matter to us that there are huge parts of the world with little to no believers in them whatsoever. And that those need to be important to us if we're to actually believe for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Now, good news. You ready for the good news? So think about this. If only 2% of all Christian giving is going to reach the unreached, and if only 2% of even all missionaries, and there's only 420,000 in the whole world, are actually working among the unreached, then what's going to happen if even 5% of Christian giving was to reach the unreached? If we're about to cross the finish line on unengaged peoples, and we're about to cross the finish line on the Bible in every single language on earth, which is really good news, on 2%? giving and 2% of the missional force? What happens if 5% gets injected into the global mission scene? What happens if there are a million global missionaries? You know today that 2.6 million people work at Walmart. Nothing wrong with that. That's a great job. If that's your job, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But don't you think that the church should have sent more missionaries than there are people working at Walmart today? There are 420,000 missionaries. There are 2.6 million people working at Walmart today. Just imagine if the church even sent a million collectively from the world to reach the unreached of the world. So in the bad news is a layer of good news. If we've done all this on so little, what happens when we move to an extravagant perspective on global missions, which is where I believe we're going? And this is the final statistic, is that the church has 3,000 times the finances and 9,000 times the people to complete the Great Commission in this generation. 3,000 times the finances and 9,000 times the people to complete the Great Commission in this generation. That's the good news. That's the hour that we live in and a generation that is growing up that is already bent towards making a difference in the nations and bent towards missions and evangelism. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's all really good news. So what do we do about this? Even in my conversations with Pastor David, 
felt today to lay a little bit more foundation, my hope being that your prayer life feels more informed, that your understanding of what's happening in a global scale, you feel more encouraged, but you're also even a little bit more aware of the needs that are out there. Biblically, thinking about our priority or our privilege or the importance of us being focused on this, I was thinking about Luke chapter 15. We often think of Luke 15 because of the story of the prodigal son. And we often think about that with someone in our family or someone we know that was once part of the church, once a believer that walked away from the faith. But that's not the context of this story. The context of this story is it says in chapter 15, verse one, the tax collectors and sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Then because of that context, Jesus tells three stories. The last of them is the prodigal son story. The context of these stories is Jesus eats with sinners. It's that Jesus is among the lost and he cares about the last lost. In fact, we know from scripture that the very reason the son of man came was to seek and save the lost. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. So the context of this story, the first one, is Jesus and the 99 sheep. He leaves the 99 for the one, right? Who's the one? The one isn't just someone that was sitting in the front row one Sunday and didn't come to church the next Sunday. The one is Jesus eats with sinners. Jesus seeks and saves the lost. And he loves the 99, but he gladly leaves the 99 for the sake of the one. He's minded about the one. He's concerned about the one who has lost, the one that doesn't know his love, the one that has not encountered him and the freedom that he brings. The next story he tells is about the woman who has 10 silver coins. It's her inheritance. It's her savings, you could say. It's everything she has. She loses one of those coins. Now, if that's your entire life savings, I want you to think for a moment if I was just like, hey, 10% of your life savings is lost. Like just right now, it's lost. Like you gotta go find it. It's under the couch somewhere. How many of you would flip the couch over looking for 10% of your entire life savings? That's this woman. She's like flipping the couches, flipping the chairs, flipping the rugs. She's like, I lost a coin. I'm going to find it. And Jesus uses that parable in relation to his heart for the lost. He goes, it's awesome that I have nine tenths of my inheritance, but I want 10 tenths of my inheritance. It's awesome that I've got nine here. But if I lose one, you better believe I am flipping the furniture to find that one. I am not giving up until all have had the opportunity to hear about my love. And that's the way he views the 3.2 billion that are waiting for the gospel. And then the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, which is familiar to us, but it's not just the story, again, of someone who walks away from the church. It's a father who scans the horizon every day waiting to see when his lost sheep and his lost coin will return to him. And the response of the father of love, of passion, of excitement, of giving him his robe, his ring, putting sandals on his feet, that this is the way that Jesus looks out at the nations today. I've often heard or have heard the parallel in the church that sometimes we view ourselves like the pool of Bethesda, which in scripture, they believe that when the angels stirred the water, if you could get in there, you might get healing. And we've sometimes thought if we can just get in the building, we might get healing. But in reality, the church is meant to be much more like Ezekiel's river, which flowed out from the temple and everywhere the river went, healing went. And that's the church. We gather together for the sake of encouragement and teaching and discipleship. We gather together because there's power when we exalt him together. We gather together because for 2,000 years, we've been gathering together all over the world, taking the sacraments together and celebrating our life in Jesus. But that's just the beginning. That's flowing out from the temple now is meant to be however many are in here, three, 400 Ezekiel's rivers flowing into the marketplace, flowing into the high schools, flowing into the universities, flowing into every neighborhood and everywhere we go, healing results. The power of the gospel results. Transformation results. That's the mission of the church, friends. That's part of why we exist. And it is so important that not only do we have that perspective for what's right around us, but that we would also have that perspective for the nations of the earth. And we would find our place in that wall 
And where we're gonna begin and talking with Pastor Dave, we go, let's take a step. We're gonna go on a number of year journey together toward radiant churches, inheritance in the nations. Let's take another step this Sunday significantly in that direction. We decided to take that step in prayer. And I know right now, by the way, congratulations on your new building. That is awesome. David sent me the video. I was so pumped. I'm so pumped there's basketball courts in there and I hope you keep a few of them because we can ball on the same Sunday that we go to church and that's gonna be incredible. And uh, I'm so excited about that. And when I shared this with David, he said, hey, let's take the same season that we're praying for the building, this 40-day season you're in, to pray that that building and what happens in there, it's not the building, it's what happens in there, would have huge impact on the 3.2 billion around the world. That you guys finding a home would be about millions finding a home in the nations of the earth. And so over the next 40 days, you pray for that building, we are going to be praying for the most unreached regions in the world, okay? We're just gonna go for it, guys. We're not toe dipping in missions. We're just going right into the deep end, okay? So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna show, and I have these maps. There are five regions around the world, and the worship team can jump up as we conclude. Maybe the whole crew can just come up, whole worship team. Is there are five maps that uh, I wanna show you. As we look at these, would you ask the Holy Spirit to highlight one for you? And for the next 40 days, this season of prayer, would you pray for that region every day for these next 40 days? Ask God to grip your heart. Begin to pray basic scriptures over. Pray that God would send missionaries. Pray that his spirit would move in power. Pray that God would strengthen the believers that are already in these regions. But these five regions make up some of the least reached regions in the world. As we go through them, ask the Holy Spirit to highlight one. So the first one, we can go ahead and put them up on the screen here. Northern Africa. One of the most largest unreached regions of the world are these nations. This may be the one that grips your heart. Let's go to the next one, Northern Africa. Next one, China, over a billion people. It not only represents one of the largest populations of Christianity in one nation because of how big the nation is and the underground church growth, but also has some of the largest populations of completely unreached people. China, number two. Let's go on to number three. The Himalayan region, Tibet, Nepal, Bhutan, some of Northeastern India, Kashmir, Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said that it was easier to take a cub from a mama bear than to see a Tibetan come to Jesus. These regions have been historically unreached. The whole Himalayan mountain range, some of the hardest to get to places in the world that have still never heard the gospel. This is the Himalayan region. The next one, Central Asia, some of these hard to pronounce places, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan. These have been historically unreached, but right now they are coming into a historic openness. The gospel, these, some of these nations have never been more open than they are right now. Central Asia, that God would begin to move in power. And the last one, the fifth one, is Northern India. The, top, the Northern 12 states, which is 12 of some 30 some states in India, make up 1.2 billion people. Just these 12 states in India, and it's the highest population of unreached peoples anywhere in the world. These maps are gonna go out to your community over the next several weeks, the next several days, and our, our ask, our challenge is, would you be willing to adopt one of these regions for the next 40 days and to own them in prayer that God would find his prodigals in Kazakhstan, that God would flip the furniture in Morocco to find his lost coin, that Jesus leaving the 99 would move in power in Northern India to reach the lost. And we're gonna join with him in intercession and prayer over these next 40 days as we deepen our community in global missions and God's heart for the nations. If you're willing to make that commitment, would you just stand with me this morning? 40 days of prayer for the nations. Just want you to stand if you're like, yeah, I'll do that. One of these five regions, Again, you'll see them all. They'll, they'll be uh, sent out on Instagram or email. I'm not sure how they're coming. But I just wanna pray over us. I just wanna pray that we'd have the grace to carry Jesus's passion for the nation. So Holy Spirit, would you just move in this room this morning? Grip us with what grips your heart, God. Move in our hearts the way that your heart moves. Lord, I believe there's an inheritance for Radiant Church all over the earth. 
that this would be a church, Lord, that is responsible for languages, having the Bible for the first time, unreached peoples, hearing the gospel for the first time, that great things would happen because of the yes and the commitment of this church around the world. And I pray in these next 40 days that you would visit us with your passion for the nations. Visit us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, so good. One of the things that I love that Pastor Andy just said is that Jesus is so focused. He loves the 99, but he's always going after the one. And I just wanna take a moment, even while we're here today, if you're in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus, you're the one. And Jesus is loving everybody, but he's focused on you. So if we could, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if today you're that one and you say, I just wanna say yes to Jesus, I wanna begin a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand just right where you're at. Maybe you're in the room, maybe you're watching this online. And I just wanna pray with you. So if that's you, just make this prayer your prayer. Jesus, you are my King, you're my Lord. And I'm stepping across the line of faith and into a relationship with you. So I give you all of my life while I, while I follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, come on, can we give it up for every person who prayed that prayer, amen. Listen, we wanna, we wanna walk alongside you. There's a connection card right in your seat, it's online as well. We wanna walk alongside you as you begin your faith journey, walking with Jesus. We wanna build community around you and help you, disciple you and help you take your next spiritual steps. And if we could, go ahead and have our ushers come forward, our prayer team come down front. We're gonna pray over offering. I just wanna say thank you, Radiant Church. Andy's one of the missionaries that we get to support as a church. And, and really, even today, Pastor David said it in the video earlier, but he's with Every Home for Christ. It's one of our mission organizations that we support as well. And they're literally taking the gospel door to door in every single nation around the world. So we know that God's not satisfied until every single person has heard the message of Jesus. So we're not either. We wanna lean into that and give and support global missions. And I just wanna say thank you. Thank you, everything we're doing as a church is because of your generosity, we're so grateful. The new building, all of the things that we're under contract with, it's not so that we can do less, it's so that we can do more, amen? We wanna reach the world with the good news of Jesus. So let's pray, Jesus, we love you and we thank you. God, I thank you for every man and woman who gives generously with a cheerful heart. God, I thank you for those who are returning the tithe to you. God, I pray that you would bless them, that you would have their hand upon them. God, and I pray that these resources that they give would multiply, they would reach people. God, that every single dollar would reach a person with the good news of Jesus Christ. God, we worship you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.